0: Joy to be a covenant member here. One of the perks as a covenant member, I should tell you, is that um, you get to be uh, a sibling in the Lord to Jeannie, who when you say things like, Jeannie, I'm going to be preaching on December 15, I need a great fish. She takes you seriously. How great is great? I don't know, man-eating? And here we have it. This morning I want to talk about Jonah, and perhaps it's been years since you looked at the book of Jonah. Maybe you haven't actually heard the whole story of Jonah since you were a kid. It's a little dangerous to revisit these stories because you realize how wrong you were about it the first time around. And I too have been shocked going back and realizing how much is packed into this little book. But I want to start at a different place, with early church history. The reason why I want to start there is not just because I teach church history, but because the, the symbolism of Jonah shows up all over the place. In fact, one of the surprising things about early Christian art is that you do not see this symbol right here. You don't see the cross for hundreds of years, really. What you do see are pictures of miracle stories, images of resurrection, and, and then you also see an awful lot of Jonah, Jonah in the catacombs, pictures of Jonah and the great fish uh, in, in funeral settings. And In fact, I want to show you a few because they're, they're, they're fairly dramatic. If you back up one, here are some marble statues, and you can see this beast, really, swallowing Jonah, regurgitating him. Jonah kind of has the touchdown thing going on, <laughs> coming out of the mouth. <laughs> if you go to the next one, you see this in the catacombs. Again, a kind of Leviathan, a sea monster, vomiting out Jonah. The next one is similar. This one, harder to see, but Jonah is being swallowed up by the great fish. This is all third century, you know, 200s. Uh, the next one... Jonah coming out of the mouth of this great fish. And it's not just that he's being burped up here. I mean, he's celebrating. He's praising the Lord. The next one, aside from the crazy looking fish here, more of a leviathan, notice how big Jonah's hands are. Uh, Hands to praise hands to to pray, hands to help others, perhaps. Next one. You see Jonah happy, Jonah on a mission all of a sudden, and, and there's very much this theme of death and resurrection. Mind you that most of these images are coming straight out of the catacombs. That's where you bury people. These are resurrection images, And and if it wasn't obvious enough, this particular artist also carved into the sarcophagus someone coming up out of the tomb. See that? The story of Jonah meant an awful lot to the early Christians, and I would suggest to you that it actually means a lot to us today as we finish up this series on types of Christ. We turn to the book of Jonah, And I'd encourage you to follow along if you have a Bible. I'm reading out of the ESV, the English Standard Version. Uh, We have Bibles back there which you can follow along in if you'd like. In those particular pew Bibles, it's page 774. I'm going to do something different this morning, and I'd ask you to bear with me. I'm actually going to read through the entire story. I'm going to throw a few comments in along the way. And hopefully open us up to the word of God. This is the word of the Lord, the book of Jonah. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. The book opens with the word of the Lord coming to Jonah, and, and this is understandable. Jonah was an 8th century prophet, 8th century BC. He was used to this happening. Yahweh speaks to him, the word of the Lord comes to him, this authoritative message from God given to this man, a prophet who is authoritatively supposed to speak for God. Jonah is used to this, nothing unusual. And there's nothing unusual with God turning people from their sin through the prophets because that's a prophet's job. A prophet calls people back to covenant faithfulness with Yahweh. What is really strange about this is that the people that God wants to return to him are the Ninevites. Nineveh, that great city, was part of the Assyrian Empire the Assyrians were mortal enemies of the Israelites. And not just mortal enemies, they were horrible, horrible people. The way that the Assyrian Empire worked is that you go out and you rape and you pillage and you dominate every single nation around you and make sure that they submit to you and cower before you. That's their MO. And somehow Yahweh has decided to have mercy on them to try to get them to repent. Verse 3, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. And, And you can't blame Jonah too much here. You can't blame him for not wanting to deliver this message because this would be something akin to God telling you to go to North Korea. Go to North Korea. Go to stand in the public squares. Tell them to repent. Tell them to become Christians, to follow Jesus, to clean up their act. That's crazy. It's crazy for two reasons. Number one, if you did that, you would be killed. Uh, the, 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 The dictator of North Korea just killed his uncle this last week, had him executed. And, and I guarantee you that, that, uh, that you will be killed too, speaking in earthly terms, if you go and you preach Jesus Christ there. You will be executed. The second reason why it's crazy is this. Why bother? I mean, the, the North Koreans are so wicked. They are so entrenched in this dictatorship. Just, just let it work itself out. That, that's kind of the feeling. Just speaking from the flesh, that's how I feel. Just, you know, let them destroy themselves, and maybe when they're destroyed, then then they'll come around. And Jonah must be feeling this way, too. The Ninevites, really, are arch enemies. No. No, let them destroy themselves. And so he goes down to Joppa to try to flee from the presence of the Lord. And you might be saying, well, this is kind of stupid. You can't get away from God, right? But there is some logic to this. Yahweh's presence was said to reside in Israel specifically in Jerusalem, specifically in the temple. So, Jonah wants to get away from God, so he tries to distance himself from the epicenter of God's presence. And, in fact, you can see this on the map. If we go to this next slide, you'll see that Nineveh is kind of up there to the the northeast of Israel. And Jonah heads south down to Joppa, and he gets on a ship to Tarshish. Now, some scholars say that Tarshish may have been ancient Tarsus, so that would be a little bit closer. But most suggest that Tarshish was this distant port city in modern day Spain. And you can see one person's calculation. Tarshish is exactly 2,694 miles from Nineveh. Jonah is eager to get away from his mission. He does not want to do this mission trip. He is rejecting this assignment, and pretty dramatically, get me on a ship to Tarshish. But, verse 4, the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God. they're, They're not Israelites, they're pagans. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise! Call out to your God! Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Amazing, these irreligious pagans are the most religious ones. And they're rebuking Jonah, who is trying to get away from the presence of the Lord. He is doing everything he can to die, to get away, to somehow not have to deal with this God who is his life, but nevertheless is making his life so difficult. Jonah is trying to get away. And and, and, and it makes me think we're doing the very same things today, aren't we? Maybe we're not fast asleep in the bottom of a ship. But today, are we not tempted with alcohol? Running away through alcoholism? Running away through prescription pills? running away through video games or television, running away through, through, through workaholism, and we think that we can work 60 or 70 hours a week and somehow it'll just kind of all work. Am I getting too personal here? Because when you do all that stuff, then you don't have to think about God and you don't have to think about your life in relation to God. And, you know, it's not always easy to be faithful It's not easy to live in the presence of God. It it, it is the greatest joy, but it is also not easy sometimes, especially when God asks you to do these difficult things. Verse 7. And they, the mariners, said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots. the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And what I want you to get from this part of the story is simply this. Jonah fulfills his vocation even when he does not want to. He has turned sinners from their sin. He has, through his own life, preached Yahweh and made people sacrifice to the Lord and make their vows. Jonah cannot get out of his identity. Despite his best intentions, he cannot stop being a servant of God. He tries to run away, and God pulls him right back. He says, I will use you even though you refuse to be used. I will save you even though you refuse to be saved. And I will save others despite the fact that you refuse to save them. Verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. You know, and... uh, Scientists and historians have said, is it even possible that a fish can swallow up a man? Uh, you know, They forget that historically there are actually examples of fish swallowing up people. There's a case from the 19th century in which a sailor was actually rescued from the belly of a fish. He was bleached, he stunk, but he was alive. Uh, this stuff has happened. But, but I'm not saying it's probable that, that a prophet would be cast overboard and swallowed up by a great fish. No, it's exceedingly rare. It's a miracle, in fact. Notice how it says that the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. This is God's doing. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, three nights. Is this a good thing or a bad thing for Jonah? Think about that one. It's a good thing. It saves his life. He's not going to drown. But what does Jonah want? What does he want more than anything at that point? He just wants to die. Jonah wills to commit suicide, but God wills that he be baptized. Chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and He answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, for you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea. And the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take up my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Do you hear all the death language? For, 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 for ancient Jews, this is the way to say, I'm, I'm as good as dead. The belly of Sheol, Sheol is the place of the dead, the belly of Sheol, the belly of the fish, The roots of the mountains covered over by the sea. It's an even deeper grave than being six feet under. I am dead, so very dead. Yet, verse 6, you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah in the belly of the fish, the belly of this whale, it's hard to know how to translate this, there in the belly of this great beast, he repents, and he starts communicating with God again, finally. takes him a few days of digestive juices. He says, God, I will remember you now. I will speak to you, And, and more than that, I will fulfill my vows. I will speak to others. You have my attention. I was good as dead, but you have raised me up out of this pit. You have awakened my heart. You have given me life, and therefore I will be the man you want me to be. You have baptized me, and I submit to that baptism. And 2, verse 10, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Scripture has very dry humor. This is one of those examples. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. First time didn't take, but the second time comes. Same exact message. Arise, go to Nineveh. Call out against them. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. And again, scholars have picked this apart. Well, was Nineveh really that great? I mean, it's about the size of Sioux Falls. It doesn't take three days to get across Sioux Falls, even by foot, so what's the big deal? Well, pay attention, three days. Jonah was about to go into the belly of the sea and be dead, but he wasn't. He went into the belly of a fish. Where he was good is dead. And now he's in the belly of Nineveh for three days. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Except he wouldn't have said it like that because, you know, he's sort of this reluctant prophet. So he's probably like, um, yet 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. Remember, Jonah doesn't want to see these people saved. I mean, he'll, he'll obey God, but he does not have any hope that they're going to turn. So this lackluster prophet goes through Nineveh over three days. And, and, and here's the greatest miracle that happens in the entire story, so don't miss this. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them The word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne removed his robe covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes and he issued a proclamation and published it through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles let neither man nor beast herd nor flock taste anything let them not feed or drink water but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call mightily to God And he did not do it. God's plan worked. I mean, this was his plan. He is going to turn the Assyrians, the most most wicked of people, he's going to turn them back to him, this God whom they really don't know. It works. God's plan works. And God repents of his destruction because his true plan actually takes. God is pleased with the Ninevites. But... 4 verse 1, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord, and he said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful God slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah wants to commit suicide But God wants to baptize. Jonah wants to flee from the presence of the Lord. He wants to to do his own thing. He wants to identify himself. In fact, he even wants to identify God. But he can't, and he knows this, and he's angry about it. And do you ever get that way? Do you ever say, God, I don't like your justice. I, I don't like the fact that I have to have consequences to my sin." I don't like the fact that, that the world doesn't seem to work the way that I want it to work. And some people don't come to Christ. They don't come, they don't come to God at all because they're angry about something. Something terrible happens to them. They see something terrible and they say, mm, No, I'm, not, I'm just not going to follow that God. Or perhaps they hear God say to them, You, you must repent of your sin if you're going to come to me. You have to become a new person. And they say, mm, No, thanks. Or they hear that Jesus Christ will come back someday to judge the living and the dead. That the dead will be raised and that he will judge the dead. And that those who are righteous will be raised for eternal life with him in the new Jerusalem on earth. But that those who are wicked will be sent into eternal fire. And they say, that God I'm never going to believe in. Because I just don't care for that kind of justice. And then you have the other side. And be careful here, because you may be guilty of the other kind of protest of God's justice. God has mercy on people you really didn't think he was going to have mercy on. And you start seeing people who, 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 who are not as good as you. And God gets a hold of their life and pulls them in, saves them, and maybe they even screw up again. They screw up even worse. And you go, God... Why did you choose that person? Really? Why have you redeemed these people? There are some difficult people in churches. Let's be honest. Why did you bring them in here? (laughs) And God's justice is actually his freedom to not punish people. To forgive their sins in Christ. To redeem them even though they're honestly difficult folks. we grumble to God about that. And that's exactly where Jonah is. He's not happy that he's being, you know, hounded by God. And he's not happy that he's being hounded by God to go save a people who are so clearly wicked. And God's God's covenant faithfulness is supposed to be directed towards the Jews, towards the Israelites. It's not supposed to be directed to the Gentiles and not these Gentiles. But Yahweh abounds in steadfast love. He relents from disaster. And the Lord, who is free to be good, and is good in his freedom, asks, Do you do well to be angry? Verse 5. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade, till he should see what would become of the city. Because he's still holding out hope. Come on, I know fire's going to come from heaven. It's only a matter of time. It it was, by the way. Did you know this? The Ninevites eventually were destroyed. Because of their wickedness, they turned back and they were destroyed. Read the the book of Nahum. But Jonah thinks it's going to happen now. I mean, God, you know, he's not going to have mercy that long. He's watching in verse 6, now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of his plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. God works more miracles. He, remember, he appointed the great fish. And now he appoints this miraculous plant to grow over Jonah, gives Jonah joy, and then God miraculously appoints the plant to die, just like that, and then appoints the sun and the wind to go and beat down on Jonah. God is appointing all these things for Jonah. Why? Because he wants to baptize Jonah. He wants to save Jonah from his sin. This is not God being nice or mean to Jonah. It's something much more sophisticated, much deeper than that. God has appointed this for Jonah. He has appointed Jonah. Is Jonah going to get it? It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. Well, that's mature. (laughs) And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor nor did you make it grow which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? And we end with this awkward question given to Jonah. Jonah who only desires to commit suicide and is there before a God who only desires to baptize. And he desires to baptize you today, for some of you quite literally. And for many of you figuratively, much like Jonah. Is it not the case that we desire to identify ourselves? We want to be our own people. We want to say, my decisions make me who I am. I'm going to go out this Christmas and buy stuff because when I buy stuff, it identifies me according to my own terms. Are we not the ones who say we're going to celebrate Christmas the way we want to celebrate it because that's just who I am. I'm going to make my own holiday. And do we not make these decisions about our lives to say, you know what, I'm my own man, I'm my own woman. But what is God's answer to us? He tells us, you are not free to define yourself. You are not free to make yourself, you Americans. Rather, I will save you. I will save you from yourself. And there in the belly of the fish, you will be saved. Your hearts will turn back to God. Your righteousness will be restored. And when that fish pukes you up onto the shore, you will have a mission. God resurrects people for vocation. Every resurrection comes with a vocation. In this series, we've been looking at ways in which the Old Testament has types of Christ, that is, shadows which foreshadow Jesus Christ. It's all throughout the scriptures. And, and you may be thinking this: <clears throat> well, Jonah is obviously a type of Christ. Jonah is the one who is thrown overboard as a sacrifice to save others. Jonah is swallowed up into the fish and is there for three days, three nights, I had that three Motif, ah. And even Jesus says, I will give them this miracle. I will give them the sign of Jonah. Even Jesus claims this as a kind of story for himself. And the sign of Jonah is after three days, he will be raised from the dead, right? So Jonah is a kind of type of Christ. But I would suggest to you this. Maybe the better type of Christ, the clearer type of Christ is not Jonah, It is the great fish. Because Jonah is the one running from the presence of the Lord. Jonah is Israel. Jonah is us. But Jesus is the one who saves. Jesus is the one who is appointed by God to deliver. Jesus is the one who is that great Ichthus, that great fish, who comes and swallows us up in baptism and gives us our justification and gives us our sanctification and even gives us our vocation. He sets us out on mission. It is Jesus who is able to go through the waters of death, and that's what water means in the Old Testament. It is death. We're talking the, the waters of chaos in Genesis, the flood. Jesus goes through death. Death cannot hurt him. Jesus goes through to swallow you up to save your life and to spit you back up on the shore in the right direction. Give thanks to Him that He is that great fish for us.